Here's a poem, The Second Coming, by William Butler Yeats. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood dimmed, tied, is loosed and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity surely some revelation is at hand surely the second coming is at hand the second coming hardly are those words out when a vast image out of spiritus mundi troubles my sight somewhere in the sands of the desert a shape with a lion body and the head of a man a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun is moving its slow thighs while all about it real shadows of indignant desert birds the darkness drops again but now i know that twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. God, what a poem. What a poem for the present moment. The blood-dimmed tide loosed upon the world. The falcon unable to hear the falconer. And, um, and what a week it's been, really. More than 100,000 deaths in the United States. I don't presently know the global number of deaths because of coronavirus. And... Now the, once again, the death of an unarmed black man at the hands of police and riots and protests and violence and, um, it's troubling. My heart is troubled. I feel heartbroken. I feel worried. I feel confused. And, um, and here I am making another podcast uh, as a white privileged male and part of me knows it's it's a time for silence um, it's a time for listening and that's what I want to try to do today I, I often feel the tension between um, feeling some responsibility to turn and look and to speak and to say something that's part of the i got i don't know the burden of of being a teacher and feeling called to such a thing and also the call of um of silence the kind of silence that is not retreat but that is more toward um listening and and I want to read a Maya Angelou poem today. And this poem has been working me the last 
few days. And I gave a, a talk at C3 where I teach regularly using the same poem, um, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, which is also the title of her one of her uh, memoirs. I think she has more than one. Or part one and part two, I can't remember exactly. Um, I, got the, I had the privilege, by the way, of hearing her read her poems and talk at Calvin College here in uh, Grand Rapids a, a few years ago. Really one of the highlights of, of my life in terms of um, hearing from a poet, and especially her. Um, and, and I want to read that poem because I'll, I'm gonna, I'll say something very directly about it here at the beginning. I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings is her line, and I want to say I don't. I don't know why the caged bird sings. I don't know why um, the clipped wings of a bird behind centuries of prison bars sings. I don't know why exactly, because I'm a white male and of Irish descent. And I, I in, inherited a certain skin color and a certain zip code and a certain family heritage that were no choice of my own. And, and, and that's why I want to, to listen. I think the title of the podcast is something like time to listen to the caged bird, time to really listen, to listen between the lines, so to speak. Um, I know it's like, um, the whole, my, my whole social media feed right now is just blowing up with people shouting. And I guess I won't uh, condemn such a thing, although I do wonder about the efficacy of social justice posts, especially by people who are just like me. Um, notice me posting a social justice post. And, and I think, I just, I wonder, who, to whom am I talking? And I think it's troubling because it gives you it gives you the feeling of I'm doing something, and it's hard to know what exactly I'm doing when it comes to, I guess what I'm calling social justice posting. So I'm, I'm not condemning that. Maybe there is a, a tide that rises, um, just like definitely uh, protests and public gatherings and marches. A certain tide rises that gets the attention of people, and I suppose you could say something the same as social media. But I, I, I don't know. I guess it's troubling. Maybe you feel troubled by it too, and and um, you know, I, I also I'm troubled by my white friends pointing the finger of white privilege on social media. <laughs> I mean, the irony is too great. And, um, and I, you know, and must point at my, uh, toward my own, um, privilege and say, all right, to whom do I need to listen? What do I need to learn? I think everybody, no matter what feels like, Hey, my worldview is pretty good right now. Um, unless they're in a deep descent and the, and everything is unraveling, but it's like, yeah, I, I you know, I've, I've kind of gotten some things straightened out, especially compared to other people. And, um, that kind of illusion can lead to a, a kind of unconscious plugging of the ears. And I want to try to open and, 
I don't know. I like there's something about this past week that I feel humbled once again. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, to quote the title of this pot, my podcast in general, hints and guesses. That's all I'm ever reaching for. Um, and longing for and hoping for is a hint and a guess, a hint followed by guesses. That's a line, of course, from T.S. Eliot. And um, God, I, I, I hope you're feeling uh, disturbed. And one of the things I, I think I, I want to start off by saying, I'll try not to make this podcast too long because I'm talking about listening, and I will get to my Angelus poem here. Um, but maybe I want to want to start off by acknowledging how complex race is in America. And the only parallel I can think of is, is and forgive the, the kind of um, not very potent parallel here, but when it comes to reading the Bible, and I'm going to say some things about the Bible in a few minutes, when it comes to reading the Bible, the question of interpretation and what it means is really, 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 really complex. We're talking about three ancient languages. If I include the New Testament, we have um, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek all appearing in the Bible. Um, and we have Hebrew written at different time periods, covering vast stretches of time, sometimes more than a thousand years of difference between um, between expressions of the Hebrew language. And we have centuries and centuries of distance between us and the ancient world, between us and the ancient text, between us and the ancient languages. And just to be able to write a sentence in English that, that you think you might understand is really, really complex. And nobody gets it right. And uh, I'm saying that because trying to um, reduce race, uh, race and the conversation around race in America just to a few simple things is really naive and stupid. It's um, really, really complex. And actually, that's the call. We're, we are called, in terms of evolution of consciousness, to move from simple to complex. And, and facing the complexities um, is what we need now, which means we need a lot of lis listening. One-liners and Twitter does not work. It does not work for a conversation around race. I'm sorry. Um, there aren't enough characters. And um, and I in no way want to contribute to trying to reduce anything down to uh, something simple. Like, hey, what we need to do is just fill in the blank. Um, and uh, maybe the other thing I wanted to say is uh, comes from this Yeats poem, the, the second coming, that something is slouching toward Bethlehem, waiting to be born in the midst of really serious chaos. And, and he knew what he was talking about from his own time period. And it's like, uh, here we are again. And the, the right language for that is apocalyptic. This is actually the end times. And I don't mean that in any kind of literal, fundamentalist, um, Christian evangelical way. It's the end of an era, of an age, of a season, of a civilization, of a way of life, of a worldview. Um, and whenever that is happening, 
collectively on a large scale, that's the apocalypse. That's the ending of things. And apocalypse means to reveal. So in the midst of chaos and of the blood-dimmed tide and the reality that that uh, the, the falcon is swinging further and further out uh, in the widening gyre, unable to hear the falconer, the mystery, the God, the, uh, the divine, the, the, the truth, reality with a capital R, in the midst of that chaos, something is being revealed about the way things are. And, and to listen for that um, and to, to turn toward uh, the chaos, to hold the poles, to be strung up on a cross of coincidence of opposites is the uh, collective and apocalyptic invitation. And, um, and something else I've been um, musing about this week. I heard something on the news, and I mentioned this to the, to the C3 community. Um, I heard something on the news that... that this year marks the 400th anniversary of the um, enslavement of black Africans taken from their continent, from their ancestral land, from their uh, tribes and homes and way of life, and brought over by ship to uh, the new, quote, the new world, which was not new at all, of course. Um, 400 years of slavery, 400 years. I just want you to hear that, 400 years, longer than the United States of America has been a country. That is a long, long time for um, patterns and stories and worldviews to shape, be, um, to form, to a, a certain consciousness to form around what... Uh, around the realities, the, the terrors and violence and traumas of, of an ugliness of what slavery is and the fact that our country was founded on such a thing. And of course, it's complex. You know, our, our, our country was founded also on some other ideas and ideals and goodwill, but it has a dark side. It has a dungeon side. Uh, it's like the, the myth of Bluebeard where Bluebeard goes away and says to his wife, hey, you can visit any room in the house. Um, here are the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. Go anywhere you want. Invite your sisters. Have a good time. My gold is yours. My food is yours. Just don't go to the basement. Don't use this key and don't unlock the door so you know what's going to happen. And eventually she does and she unlocks that door and looks inside and it's full of Bluebeard's previous dead wives all bloody and mangled and the key gets blood on it and she freaks out and tries to shut the door but the key won't quit bleeding and it gets all over her dress and she tries to put it in the wardrobe and the wardrobe bleeds out. It's like once you open the door, once you open the door to the underside of, of what um, America uh, is built upon, you can't unsee it. The key is bloody. It gets on your clothes and it's on all of us and, and on, on the white privileged um, part of society. We can't wash it off. We can't wash the blood off no matter how hard we try. So best to turn toward it and say, yes, this is the, this is the truth. This is the truth. And um, 400 years. And, and the figure struck me in particular because um, that's how long the, the, 
the Hebrew people were enslaved in Egypt, according to the book of Exodus. 400 years, that's such a long time. And for patterns to develop and ways of thinking to develop. And that's a long time to have the whip in your hand from the Egyptian point of view. And that's a long time to have the whip on your back from a Hebrew point of view. And I got to say something, the very core, the very core of the Hebrew tradition, the central story is the Exodus from Egypt, the central narrative that shapes the entire canon of the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament itself. Do not forget that Jesus was executed on Passover, the story of liberation. The the central story is freedom from slavery, from 400 years of oppression to a promised land. That is a symbolic story. That is a powerful story. That is a redemptive story. That is the story we need right now. We need a new kind of exodus. Changing the voting laws wasn't enough, we could say. Um, Changing some laws around police brutality is not enough. These are all tiny steps. We need something like an exodus. And... um, I'm heartbroken. I mean, like I can even feel um, tears coming up right now. Um, about what happened just yesterday, when the president of the United States, outside his um, White House, uh, dispersing protesters, um, the police uh, dispersing protesters with tear gas and pushing and shoving and um, acts of violence, in other words, to clear the street so he could go across the street and stand in front of a church and hold a Bible. I mean, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. And I'm a critic of Trump, and, and I hope I'm a critic of all political leaders. I actually personally think there's a place for the conservative and there's a place for the liberal in this country. And we need one another. We need one another to have the complex discussion. What traditions do we need to hold on to and what innovations do we need? It's the tension, the pull between those two where something, where the third can emerge. So I will not put down conservatives in any way, shape, or form. Um, And I won't praise liberals as if they're some kind of uh, savior with their woke worldview. Both have much to learn. But this act by a so-called conservative president, which I think we can now put into question, is um, just terribly, terribly um, dark. It's as if the man holding the Bible has never opened a page, does not know what's in it, the very book stands in condemnation of, the, of his own actions, and it stands in condemnation of my own actions and my lack of actions around race, particularly. So I'm not innocent here. The blood's on my hands as well. But the central message of the very book that he holds in his hand in front of a church is liberation. The Messianic image is the day when the war chariots and horses will no longer come to Jerusalem, but the swords will be beat into plowshares. That's the vision. 
And more than that, um, the, the heartbeat of the Hebrew scriptures comes from the prophets themselves. And the prophets say something that could not be more direct. What they say is, the measure of a good society is how it treats the poor, the widow, the alien, in other words, the foreigner, and the immigrant. The measure of a good society, of, of, a society, of society that has a moral spine, that takes responsibility, is how it treats the poor, the widow, the alien, and the orphan. And to stand there and hold that book is to, um, is to have the light of justice uh, cast upon the darkness of what we call uh, the uh, of what we call America. You know, um, Martin Luther King Jr. was not just an anomaly. He was embodying an archetype, the prophetic archetype, and singing the song that has been sung for 5,000 years or more, depending on uh, traditions and places of the world. And that song is the song of justice. Let it roll down like a mighty river. That's the, like a torrent. It's the call of Amos, you know. Um, and even Moses, who, according to the um, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, is a prophet, and um, who warned in the Torah, do not mistreat the alien or the foreigner living among you, for you were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. Don't forget where you came from. And I don't know, there was something about I think, Hebrew consciousness at its best that remembered such a thing. You were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. You know what this like. You know what it's like to have the whip on your back. So when the power, more or less, accidentally falls into your hands, be careful how you wield it. But there's something about um, white America that doesn't know that song, really. Um, there's something about privileged America that has that is so um, out of touch, has not felt the whip on the back. And, and I have to say something about the, you know, the collective psyche. The collective psyche is timeless, you know. I hear sometimes critique, hey, that was a long time ago, you know, it's the 21st century. Um, slavery is old news, and, but to the psyche and to the collective psyche, it's timeless. It's, there are elements and energies that are as present now as 400 years ago. Um, and that's just the way it is. So um, maybe I want to say sort of clearly and as directly as I can to, to Christian America, regardless of race, um, regardless of color, regardless of income, regardless of denomination. Yeah, um, listen to the voices of color in the Hebrew Bible. Let's not forget it's not a white book. Um, it was uh, written by uh, Middle Eastern, dark-skinned people. And let, let the lessons of history and how we treat the poor, the widow, the alien, and the oppressed shine light on our own darkness right now. Yeah, that's what we need. Um, 
lest the Bible uh, become a kind of weapon for ideology, weapon for conservative or liberal, I suppose, ideology, to weaponize um, uh, this sacred collection of songs to push my personal agenda. <laughs> the Bible doesn't allow such a thing. It laughs in the face of such a thing. Like uh, God says to Jeremiah, that, oh, the temple, the temple, the temple, you think you're so precious. You know, my church, my church, my church, my book, my book, my book. You know, go on up to the place and see what I did to it. I leveled it to the ground. That's Jeremiah. And Jesus of quotes, quotes from Jeremiah when he says, um, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of robbers. I can't think of more poignant words right now. So, um, let me read from my Angelo because, like I said, it's time to listen. It's time to listen to the caged bird and to humble ourselves into a conversation with Black America and Hispanic America and Arab America and other ethnicities I can't think of right now. Um, the list is long. And... Here's what she has to say. A free bird leaps. A free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream. A free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends and dips his wings in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied so he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill for the cage bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze and the trade winds soft through the sighing trees and the fat worms waiting on a dawn bright lawn, and he names the sky his own but a cage bird stands on the grave of dreams. His shadow shouts on a nightmare scream. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on a distant hill, for the cage bird sings of freedom. What is the song? It's being sung right now. What's the song in the throat of the caged bird echoing through the urban city centers of this amazing country? What is that song? Right now, the song is, I can't breathe. I can't breathe is what the caged bird is singing. Do we have ears to hear? Can we allow such a song to soften our hardened places, our unplug our deaf ears and our blind eyes to the ways our brothers and sisters live in this country and what it's like to walk down the street for so many people of color? You know, unlike me, I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I ride my bike and run wherever I want without a care or a thought in the world, like a free bird, dipping my wings in the orange sun rays, daring to 
claim the sky, and that's what is meant by privilege. I don't know what it's like, so I have to take responsibility to, to listen in my own small way to the song. If I can't breathe right now in America, and um, one more sort of parting thought. So um, my wife was telling me she heard something from a friend of hers, a Hispanic friend of hers, who was musing on on Pentecost, which is uh, was this past Sunday. And Pentecost is the festival in the Christian calendar where the Spirit, the wind, the Holy Spirit, um, falls on the on the collective regardless of um, ethnicity that's the story of Pentecost and more than that God it says breathes on people giving them the spirit of life the Holy Spirit which is a recapitulation a retelling of the Genesis story where God breathes a breath of life on human beings that is what from a symbolic point of view what the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament is saying um, is the sacredness of life, that every single human being on this planet, by virtue of just breathing, is a sacred and divine creature. They, they, um, as their lungs fill and exhale, they are breathing in and out the divine mystery, the breath of life. And that's what was squeezed out in Minneapolis in 2020 in the United States of America, the breath of life. So, the caged bird sings with a fearful trill, but long of things unknown. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown, but longed for still. And his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom.